Hey, what's up, everybody? ¿Cómo estamos todos? Aida Rodriguez here. Um, I am here to uh, welcome you to another episode of Truth Serum. Um, thank you for coming back. I really appreciate all of you that show up on a weekly basis. You share the content. You, you let people know about us. And I just want to say thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate to those of you who have donated so that we can keep the operation going. And um, I'm just thankful and humbled that we are all here. Um, I am uh, today having a conversation. I'm bringing, uh, this is the first time, well, not the first time, the second time I'm bringing some guests back so that we can continue to have the conversation. Last time they were here, we had a conversation. It was powerful. It was strong, but it was too short. And even this hour will not be long enough to cover um, the basis of what we deal with in this country in terms of our Latinidad. Um, I wanted to make sure that I said today, um, this show is not um, a show, a singular point of view show. We're not going to just sit here and have one conversation. That would be too much like mainstream media and uh, what America does to us to indoctrinate us. We have to have varied perspectives. We have to honor all of the journeys. We have to remember that the oppression of the United States spans across the world, it's not just here, and that many of us who are here are a result of that worldwide oppression. So I just wanna make sure that we have these conversations. I am uh, very proud to be Afro-Latina, to be Afro-Indigenous. I'm very proud of my Puerto Rican and Dominican roots, and I still honor my African heritage. And at the same, you know, and I just wanna make sure that people understand that intersectionality is real. And when we have these conversations, and we erase people, we are doing white supremacy's work. So that being said, um, I wanna invite my guests into the conversation. We are going to talk about it all today. And we're gonna keep having this conversation and we're gonna keep doing the work. Um, so my girls are here and um, Catalina Gata Eclestone is here representando a Panama. Lisa. Uh, Arce Raya, don't forget the name. And I, I you know, it's funny, I gotta make sure uh, Rodriguez is very important to me. And even when I was married, my name was Aida Rodriguez Ellison, very important to me. And Melina Bobadilla is here, uh, fresh off of the Imagen Awards, whose show took a few uh, Imagen Awards yesterday. So, hey, how, is, how are my queens doing? Good. Good, I'm happy to be here. I enjoy seeing all of your beautiful faces. Same. I, I, I saw you this morning uh, killing it on Twitter and oh, taking yeah. it to task. You know, I go to uh, the three of you on Twitter. You are three of the reasons why I'm still on social media. <laughs> I seriously considered uh, just removing myself from it at all because it does affect my mental health yep. and my emotional health. And Julissa, you know, because you and I have actually had some exchanges about it and we got to go on a walk because I'm losing my mind. But yeah. Um, it's just very important for us to have uh, these conversations. And you, and I'll tell you, I'll start it off with this. This is how sensitive uh, it's become for me on social media. Gata, you posted a picture of your family today um, in honor of Latinx Heritage Month. And I was tweeting you that, I, uh, that you had a beautiful family. And I was like, can I get an ojalda? Yeah. And I thought about it twice because I said, Somebody is going to think that this light-skinned woman is asking a dark-skinned woman to make to cook for her, and that's how much I've been affected by social media. And I was like, "That's my friend." Yeah. 
You yeah. know what I mean? But that's how much it's how much how sensitive I've become to mm -hmm. making sure that I don't offend people and that I take people's humanity into account. And then I tweet, I texted my tia who's Panamanian and she was like, you better tweet that girl though. Oh, <laughs> If she's closer to you because I'm the only one that makes it for you. So I just, I just, you know, it's just so funny that it's, it, we've, we've come to this and, um, and I wanted to talk about something in particular. I want to kick it off. We do a lot of, uh, uh, we have a lot of conversations on social media. We have a lot of fights on social media. We have panels that turn into nightmares on social media. I've participated in some of those. What doesn't change, no matter how much we fight, it's the system that continues to oppress us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so while we turn the fighting onto one another and we start having these conversations that are necessary and important, we really forget to hold the establishment accountable for what it continues to do to us and why we do this in the first place. So I wanted to kick off with that, Julissa. You have been um, one that has also come under fire on social media. And I really wanted to just just have a take your take on how do we balance having our conversations, holding each other accountable and still getting stuff done um, and not taking each other down? Yeah. Uh, well, first, like, thanks for, for having me back. Uh, I was thinking about this quote uh, by La uh, Laura Gomez, who says that racism reaches its apex when subordinated groups start replicating that racism amongst each other. And that's sort of like when racism is having a party, being happy because we're, we are upholding that same racism that oppresses us. And I do think that, uh, you know, social media, unfortunately, it doesn't allow for like nuanced conversations, right? Like how much can you really say in 204 characters? And I think a lot of times, um, you know, I, I in, on social media, one of the things that bothers me is that I think sometimes people tweet things out because they want to get retweets uh, and they want to be explosive uh, and not really because they're interested in making progress. And so I try to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm only human and there are times when lo que pongo es lo que me sale a la cabeza, like sin pelos en la lengua is what ends up on Twitter. And I, uh, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that there are times when when those tweets and those thoughts aren't coming across as um, as concise or as uh, powerful as I would like them to. Uh, and we all have work to do on that. We all have work to do to make sure that the work that we're doing is not for the sake of retweets, but that it's actually for the sake of making progress and creating understanding and creating unity. And that's one piece I feel like is lacking in our community because sometimes to your point, like I think we're too quick to start attacking each other when what we should be doing is having behind the scenes conversations, you know, like having actual conversations, like picking up the phone and calling each other and texting each other about things instead of just like tweeting them out and, 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 and working towards creating progress. Got that. I want to ask you this because we are in the middle of this, uh, conversation and and Melina um, and I will talk about this. Yesterday, the Imagen Awards aired um, and we, we, you know, there was a lot of effort done um, to make sure that there was inclusivity with regards to our entire spectrum. And when I say that, you know, I, I am very um, 
I'm, I'm very careful and I'm very thoughtful about being in spaces where people tokenize the Black people, regardless of where we are, whether we're in the Latino space, the white, the mainstream space, we do that a lot, right? We're like, oh, now that we have a Black person, we've, we've checked off the Afro-Latinidad box, the wow. Black box. But can we have a conversation about how Latinos, Latinx people are completely left out of, of the conversations in Hollywood while at the same time holding the same white people within our Latino, Latinx spectrum responsible for their oppression in the game. But can we have a conversation about some sort of solidarity on what makes us all Latinos, Latinx? Or is that a conversation that we're no longer gonna be able to have because of the breakdown of our people? Hi, um, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here again on The Truth Serum. I love that question, Aida, um, simply because, you know, as time goes by and, you know, I, you know, learn in these spaces as well, um, you know, I take notes from social critics, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, what is the conversation? Because they have been doing the work for, for all of this time. I, I'm not a newbie per se, but, you know, they have done the work on deconstructing Latinidad and what that means and um, navigating these spaces. So I think to better answer your question in regards to, um, you know, what is the conversation anymore? Are we capable of, you know, holding each other in account and actually having some sort of solidarity? I think that we need to all be on the same page in regards to what Latinidad is, right? Yeah. Um, I am a black woman. Claro, yo soy Latina. My parents are from Panama. I am first gen and I'm proud to be so, right? But in, in regards to community and who's, which, who's looked out for me, I can't say that um, you know, structurally, because racism is about structure. It's not individual. It's about structure. We can be xenophobic, but racism is about being structured. Structure. So in regards to moving within these structures, I can't say that a lot of white Latinos have looked out for me, that a lot of white Latinos have put me on. And this is me speaking individually. Now, collectively, Black Latinos, this is the reason why the rhetoric is the way that it is. Oh, no, no podemos progresar. We can't progress. Why? Not because we don't want to, but because we're being gatekeeped in that, okay, Negro, if we're going to be in this space, this is how you got to act because you're representing Latinos now. You can run and represent Latinos, but this is how you got to act. There's a lot of gatekeeping. So I don't think that we can get to that place, not without having the conversation beforehand in regards to who is Latino and when and how that's um, respected or not and how, you know, what needs to be done in order to change that and advance people into these types of spaces. I, 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 first of all, I love that answer because I think that it's right, it hits it right on the head in terms of the conversations that we're having. Because one thing that I've, uh, I've discovered uh, through social media is that a lot of us like to police one another in terms of what our identities are, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I saw that you posted, Gata, that you don't want to even be called Afro Latina anymore. You just want to be black because it's been appropriated by people who don't have to deal with the journey and the struggles that come with your skin tone. And that that in that in, in within that own movement, they're now erasing you from it. And I think that it's important for us to be real and honest about that. Melina, you um, are on a TV show that was that yesterday got some nominations. And, you know, even though we cheer, like last year, they said, well, you know, when John Leguizamo said whatever John Leguizamo said, which I thought was not properly 
um, it was not the proper framing for what needed to be said because we don't have to compare ourselves to other marginalized groups to make a statement about white supremacy and oppression. And people said, well, Jarrell, Jarrell won last year. Are we supposed to be okay with just having one Afro-Latino win? Or are we? can we demand that we have more? Because for some reason, it just seems like because some people didn't celebrate Jarrell, which was not that that was some people, many of us. I mean, if you go from the pages of us who are Puerto Rican and Dominican, we all celebrated Jarrell. Many of us did. Like, and, and listen, the white people who don't celebrate Jarrell don't celebrate us either because they're busy being white people and they don't want to be associated with us either. How do, aren't we entitled to demand more just because one Afro Latino won an Emmy last year? Is that supposed to be enough for Latinos? Are we Latinx people because we're immigrants? Are we supposed to still always just accept scraps? No, absolutely not. And I think that to your question, we should absolutely be demanding more representation. But I think that where I get frustrated is the, the lack of deep insight into unpacking what that representation looks like yeah. and what Latinidad is and what it's not. And ultimately, beyond mere representation and checking boxes, how are these conversations and these stories that we are pushing to tell going to then actually take on um, you know, politics and change socioeconomic conditions so that we see material condition change. So we see actual um, oppression and, and socioeconomic disparities and, and health disparities change in the communities that we are demanding to be represented. So I think you, know, um, you asked a question a few minutes ago, uh, can we still talk about Latinidad and try to uh, arrive at a point of, of unity, of cohesion. I think we can, I think we can have that conversation, but I think oftentimes, um, you know, because we've been so accustomed to getting those scraps um, and we have been erased for so long, not just in media, but in terms of access to resources and representation in government, uh, in business, et cetera, um, we are we are rushed to try and arrive at a comfortable answer, at an answer that is tied neatly with a bow, um, that can be you know checkboxed easily, where we can all go to the same conference, we can all have the same award show, and and we have to get really really real about our own positionalities. Every single person who wants to have this conversation, engage this conversation of Latinidad, because they relate to it, whether or not they were born in Latin America or in the Caribbean, or, or they were born here, but that's where their ancestral ties are from. I think we have to start with our individual positionalities. Like what is our family lineage? Literally like we have to negotiate our place in terms of race and, and ethnicity and, and um, be really, really mindful to consistently uh, interrogate the privileges that we carry and the privileges that we don't carry. So I think that this need to, to kind of uh, be reductive about Latinidad and like, hey, we're all bilingual and we all love to dance or, and, and I'm not saying that's anyone here, but right. I feel like I'm being overwhelmed and saturated with messaging like that, especially right now during Latinx Heritage Month, when we don't have even an agreement on using Hispanic and Latinx versus Latino. Um, so I think we sometimes I get frustrated when we get stuck on the co cosmetic aspects, the the 
uh, performance of Latinidad as opposed to really settling in on creating uh, situations that can create change in material conditions for the underrepresented communities. So I, I, you know what, I love these um, these answers and these conversations because one thing that I will tell you and the reason why I'm attracted and drawn to you is because I believe in the laws of attraction because I honestly want to find, um, you know, solutions and, and I want to create a better world for our children and our children's children. Um, and, and that is not to erase or to try to dispute the fact that there is oppression within our own community of each other. Mm -hmm. But I, at the same time, trying to find solutions so that people that come, because the thing about it is, is that we, we, when we start talking about race and we start talking about cultural realities and we exclude class, um, there's a whole realm of reality that we, 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 we dispose of when we don't talk about someone like me. I grew up in Miami and I grew up in the ghetto of Miami, right? I grew up in the middle in a high school that was 50% black, 49% Latino, 1% white. So we grew up in Liberty City. We grew up over town. We grew up in Miami. And uh, my best friends who I grew up with in the same neighborhood, getting the same food stamps, struggling the same, dealing with the colorism and all of those issues. I see Brianna Taylor's loss as my loss. I'm not looking at it from the perspective of, ooh, that's terrible for black American people. Mm -hmm. I feel like that could have been somebody in my community because I grew up dirt poor. So, and, and that's not, you know, we talked about it last time. Our people get killed by the police. And when I say our people, you're talking about a Dominican black man in the Bronx who was murdered by the police. You know, you talk about this and 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 people don't erase the realities of our intersections. And that's what I think is is really starting to really it really it's starting to mess with me because I'm like, this is bigger than what we think it is. And it is all by design. And it is now working that when Native American people, First Nations people speak up for themselves, people tell them, why now? Wait your turn. And I'm like, what does that mean? We should all be fighting for this. You know, like, they, are we seriously now telling other people who are marginalized that they don't have a right to have a voice? And so that's all white supremacy's work from, from my perspective, right? So now we're sitting here having this conversation. They, they were sterilizing women in these concentration camps, right? I'm not calling those camps anything else. Now, when we talk about immigration, it is a very Central American conversation because it has been framed as an exclusively brown issue in this country when people migrate here from all over the world and commit crimes and do all kinds of egregious acts in this country. And when you talk about immigration, you forget that Haitians immigrate here, people from Africa immigrate here, you know, and that people come here from all over the world who are also black and have to deal with being immigrants and black in this country. Now we talk about this sterilization and there, it's no secret they're trying to keep the numbers down. I just wanna hear your thoughts on this because I don't even know how to come up with a question anymore about the atrocities that this at this country, I wouldn't even say the administration, this country and its history and its present is continuously raining down on communities of color. So 
these so so these stories aren't new, sadly. Um, you know, we heard what was coming out of the ICE prisons in Georgia. The news broke about two weeks ago um, because Don Wooden, uh, a black nurse who was working in these private ICE prisons, um, became a whistleblower. She started hearing about some uh, a doctor who was performing hysterectomies, forcible sterilization women who uh, essentially were being violated um, and the reproductive futures being torn away from them without their consent. And so uh, she caught wind of this man who they started calling uh, the, the, the womb collector, right? Uh, the uterus collector. And um, I wanna also highlight that one of the women that, that actually did undergo one of these procedures who was literally on the plane and about to be deported, um, she was from Cameroon. However, you know, she left when she was two. She grew up here for all intents and purposes. She's an American woman. She's a black woman uh, from an African country. So I think that, yes, when we talk about immigration in terms of, you know, who's coming from Central America and from Mexico, um, and, and you're right, Aida, we, we, people often in the popular discourse think that this is just a brown issue, right? That ultimately, oftentimes gets uh, relegated to like the Latino issue box, right? Like immigration, that's your thing. Um, but there's women from all over um, the, the African continent. There's Haitian women. Uh, I wanna shout out uh, a friend, Geraldine Joseph, who, who runs the Haitian Bridge Project out of San Diego and Tijuana. And she works with Haitian women, with West African women, with Hondureñas, with Salvadoreñas. But going back to this idea of uh, forcible sterilization as a really, disgustingly cruel mechanism of the state. This is this is a slow genocide. This is rooted in the, the racist history of eugenics. And sadly, the US has blood on its hands from these particular practices and has been engaging in them for centuries. They have done this to Puerto Rican women on the island. They have done this to black women, African-American women here in, in the United States. They have done this to Native American women. And here in Los Angeles, uh, this was happening as recently as the mid-70s. So there was a group of uh, predominantly Mexican women, some Mexican-American, who were going to L.A. County. Well, now it's L.A. County USC Medical Center. At that time, it was L.A. County General Hospital. And one of the units was the L.A. County uh, Women and Children's Hospital. Now, there's countless women that this happened to. We don't have the exact numbers because... Uh, so many of them carried the shame and the trauma of having been forcibly sterilized. They went in and they were giving birth. It should have been one of the most happy, momentous days of their lives. Um, but they were coerced and, and forced to sign these documents for a procedure called tubal ligation. So uh, many of the women ended up forming a class action lawsuit um, with the, the help of a young Chicana attorney named Jessica Hernandez. They are popularly known as the Madrigal 10. They sued LA County USC. Um, sadly, they didn't win. But you know, one of the things that, that came out of that was that they started making these medical forms uh, in multiple languages. Uh, the problem is that some of the women that underwent these forced sterilizations were bilingual. Um, some of them had limited English skills, some of them spoke only Spanish, some of them did understand English, but it wasn't until I started researching for uh, an upcoming independent film that I, I played one of these women, I didn't understand some of this medical jargon, you know, and I'm a college graduate. I didn't know what some of these words were. So if I'm there experiencing extreme 
uh, you know, labor pains. And the doctors are all standing over me, telling me, you're going to die if you don't sign this. That's coercion. That's legal duress. That never should have happened. But it happened because those doctors who were white supremacists decided that they needed to control the population of Latinas in Los Angeles because we have too many babies. And if we have too many babies, we get political control and we populate the streets and you know how the rest of that narrative goes. Julissa. I mean, I think Melina said it all. Those are all the things I would have highlighted, particularly the, the deep history of this happening. Like this is not anything new. And, you know, I, 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 and I think, I mean, I've talked to you about it and, and sorry, I'm not, I don't mean to like plug in my project here, but this is why I started to do La Historia Uncovered because there's so much Latinx history, Latino history, Mexican American history that we don't know about. It, and, and what happens then is that we view things that are happening today as isolated incidents. We start to view them as something that just started happening with this administration, when in reality, there is a deep rooted history in this country of trying to stop black and brown population from growing in the country. So that's the only thing I'll add, um, which is that, you know, we cannot view these things as, as though they just started happening because there's a deep history of it. Catalina, you are black and immigrant right and in this country right <laughs> first generation so you come from immigrants just you're like me my mom wasn't born here but you speak with an accent right you can hear your latinidad when you speak when you when you are viewed in this country right because you have to deal with the intersectionality of who you are and then there is there is put not pushback, but there is a certain treatment from the Latinx community and then from the Black American community and the white community, right? Which is, it's taxing, right? When you think about it in this country. When you move around in your skin, what are some of the things you can tell me about your experience that will give some of the viewers and a, a look, just a little look, because it, it, the complexity is too much to say in a few minutes, but who you are and how that works in the world for you, having to navigate all of those spaces, because I think it is important for people to understand uh, the reality of intersectionality, not just shout it out as a term that's PC, but really understand what that looks like and what it feels like. Um. Wow. <laughs> um, as you've said um, beautifully, it is difficult to put that complexity into a few words, but I'll try. Um, claro, I am um, a Black uh, Latina, and I'm proud to do so. Um, and it's, it's to, to be so, excuse me. And it's so, um, it's just interesting to me, like all of the different things that are forced onto me um, as an individual. For example, um, just today, shout out to Dash. Um, she tweeted, you know, I'm going to need people to stop pushing the rhetoric that, you know, all Black Latinos didn't know who they were up until recently because it's a trend. Whereas I grew up knowing, you know, I was Black my entire life. My dad actually got mad when my mom permed my hair. Like, my dad didn't want me to be, like, you know, certain, you know, associating certain aspects of Latinidad, right, that's based in whiteness, to myself, you know, he was mad. And that's, that was my reality, that there was never anything wrong with me as a person, but I'll say no, that, you know, the world doesn't understand me and that that's okay. 
I thank God to my parents that they've taught me that from early on because I can just imagine what it would feel like to grow up hearing because and stuff like that. But granted, these are um, very valid um, uh, emotions for Black Latinos to have because this is the rhetoric, um, you know, that is you know popular within our community. You know, you know, like these are things that I haven't heard, but these are things that Black Latinos deal with. This is a reality for us. In addition to, you know, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, a city that is very segregated in my um, experience. You know, you say Panamanian, but my accent, my Spanish is the Panamanian. It's very Dominican because I'm, I'm surrounded by Dominican. In my building right now, they're all Dominican. Um, you know, and I love my, my Dominicans and I love my bodies, of course. Um, but you know, I, I, at the same time, I do hold true to what Panamanian values are. And I only say this to say that here in Boston, my experience has been, um, you know, with African-Americans as long with um, Latinos to ask me, am I sitting at the black table or the Spanish table, haha, <laughs> Spanish, the Spanish table in the third grade to paint you a picture of what my reality has been. In the third grade, third graders are segregating themselves in regards to are they sitting at the black table or the Spanish table? And so there's this dichotomy of yes, me being black in the um, black American space, because technically I am black American. I am American, I was born here. I am just, you know, the descendant of Panama and Jamaica. Pero también being black in the Latino space and what that means and what it doesn't mean. Um, you know, there's multiple nuances that I can pull from. Essentially, the bottom line is um, blackness is refuted in um, both communities at different levels and at different times. A lot of people, you know, they try to make it convenient, which is why I've never, I've never, like, I, I have a vlog out there. You can look me up where I talk about Afro-Latino, why? <laughs> and I think I was like 18 years old, but I'm, I'm proud of myself for staying true to that rhetoric because I, why are we constantly subcategorizing ourselves where these nations would not exist if it were not for the esfuerzos of los negros y los indígenas? Why? Why do we subcategorize ourselves? Yo soy negra. I have to create another category so you can understand where it is that I come from, whether I speak Spanish or not whether I have an accent or not. Yo soy negra, I am a black woman and I'm proud to be so. And it's not a big deal, it has nothing to do with anyone else's reality but my own, which is why I laugh at, you know, a lot of there's white guilt. And um, that's part of the reason why a lot of people are trying to attach themselves to, you know, this rhetoric or putting Afro-Latino in their bio and stuff, you know? And that's fine. Tu abuelo negro, you're proud of that, but how you walk in the world and how you are seen phenotypically. I have a big black nose. I have huge lips. I have melanin, like dark melanin. Tu sabes, the lighting, the lip is lighting for you. Yo soy preta, you know what I'm saying? And I'm proud to be so, but also this affects how I move in the world. The last thing I'll say is, I was cracking up the other day because I was speaking to um, a music exec friend of mine who, unfortunately, he didn't understand, um, you know, where it is that I was coming from. And sadly, I did bring up wanting to, you know, have plastic surgery because I want to and I don't have bad ones to say so. And him saying, you know, that's all in your head in regards to that. He was gaslighting me fine. You know, he's a man he doesn't understand. But it was it was laughable to me for him to not understand that me as a black woman moving in Latino spaces and the reasoning and why I wanted to do it, yes, for myself, but also for how I am perceived and accepted, that the way that we look doesn't affect the way that we are treated. It absolutely does. 
That is absolutely my reality, moving in music, moving, you know, in, in social media, moving in every single aspect of my life on the internet and off. The way I look, the way that I'm presented, it has a big deal with how I am accepted or not. So um, I hope that I touched on a lot of points. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. well, I appreciate it. I think that uh, with respect to the spectrum, when we have these conversations, Somebody, I tweeted yesterday or the other day that, um, you know, the white passing Latinx people, they sometimes they, they, they enjoy privileges and they're, they live a plush life. And then when white people remind them that you, you're one of them, then they want to come back to us. And then someone came at me and said, stop saying white passing. They are just white. Right. And I was like, you know, I, I, white passing to me, is not the same as white Americans because there are some white people who have blonde hair and blue eyes who can barely speak English. And they are treated differently because they have accents from countries that are from Latin America, not treated like people who come from Russia or people that come from Poland because that is higher on this hierarchy, right? They are treated differently. So when I say white passing, I'm talking about the claro, the people who you can see that can probably play a white role if you if they if they play it right right they they do the, they do the thing that does the thing that makes them get the job so that being said there is a whole spectrum of latinx people who are not black and are not white passing mm -hmm. and and we can't have a conversation about their oppression because then it becomes erasure. And for me, it is important that we have the conversation about us all because I don't get to invite, if I get raped and a white woman gets raped, I can't tell that white woman that her rape is invalid because she's white. What I can say is they probably would treat your rape differently than mine because I'm not white. But that does not mean that her rape is not valid. So I wanted to talk to Julissa and Melina about the, the reality of being a Latinx person where you're not white, but if you're on television, you are probably the maid. So there, there, is, there is some ugliness in that as well. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I, uh, I talked about the entire spectrum because we don't, we can't, we can't have nuanced conversations anymore. Well, we can. We're having one, but you know. But you're right. I mean, I don't get. I don't go out for the same roles that Carla Souza. No shade to her. I don't know her personally, but like, let's be really honest. Um, I I think that we can hold space uh, to talk about you know this the, and unpack the history of this idea and and, and the the terminology, right? White passing, um, which isn't only used to to refer to white Latinos, um, but we also have to contend with the fact that some Latinos are actually white. They are, uh, their, yeah. their lineage is European. So I wanted yeah. to bring a quote from uh, uh, a Salvadoran Iranian poet. Uh, she's a scholar from the East Coast. Her name is Maryam Pariscar. I hope I said that right. Um, she says, Latinx is neither a race or an identity. It is a cultural and geopolitical designation for a very large and diverse group of people that exists because of Portuguese and Spanish colonization. So I think when we allow ourselves to zoom out and to really look at the totality of, of what, what, what makes up these identities, I think it becomes, for me, it becomes less confusing and it's easier. Cause like, hey, you can be Latinx and 
you got yes, there are white Latinx folks. And and so I can speak for myself because you asked, you know, what is it like if you are not a, a black woman who also identifies as Latinx or or you don't identify as Afro-Latina, but you're clearly not white passing. I I can talk like a white girl, but I will never be offered one of those roles. And I'm okay with that. Um, but I am racialized. I am perceived, especially in terms of the white gaze, which is predominantly who, uh, the, those are the folks that make the decision that give the funding, the green light, the gatekeepers in this industry, let's be very honest. Um, there's an over-representation of that in terms of casting, producing, directing, behind the scenes, in front of camera, all of it. And so I am perceived, I am read as someone who they would prefer to have an accent, who they would prefer to be monolingual Spanish speaker. I'm bilingual, I can do both. And I am often... Um, invited to audition for and considered for roles of people that are undocumented. And all of these realities are beautiful and they're fine in and of themselves. They are intrinsically beautiful as, as human lives. But the problem happens when our realities are filtered and, and diluted through this white gaze, because it means that brownness, that, um, you know, Again, no one ever thought I was Spanish or Portuguese. People know I'm brown, but I, I identify as Chicana because it allows me the flexibility of that gray area, of the fluidity, of the liminality, because I don't have tribal affiliation. Because of colonization and white supremacy, I have been so far removed from uh, whatever native language that my bisabuelas were speaking. Um, but you know, like 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 Agatha was saying, like my face don't lie, my 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 skin color doesn't lie. But I also, um, you know, I'm not gonna go out there and and pretend that I should, you know, play something that that Galitza does, whatever. So, um, I, I think that we, I think our the way that that our our skin and our phenotype and the way we walk in the world, um, sometimes it is fluid and it's perceived differently based on what spaces we're in, but. When we look at it in terms of power dynamics, um, I think that we have to first lead with interrogating white supremacy and capitalism because that's what continues to um, uplift that white gaze. That's what continues to allow folks to, to put me in a category where someone that looks like me with my nose, with my skin, um, shouldn't go, go out for lawyer roles or, or um, I'm gonna go back to, you know, you know I'm gonna use Carla Souza as an example because she's, a Mexican actress and, um, you know, or Alexis Bledel. And, and again, no shade on them personally, they're very talented. But when I have, when I hear people celebrating like, oh my God, like Latina representation, that's awesome. At least they got nominated. I'm like, no, oh, what are we talking about here? Cause I don't feel seen. Right. That does not change the visual paradigm of uplifting and validating beauty of whiteness, of light skin, of skinniness, of pointy nose, of blue eyes. So. It's important to unpack that and be really specific about what we're talking about. I, I Julissa, I'm going to get to you in a minute. I, Gata, you have a, a fan on here that says that I need to take one of their workshops because I'm spewing lies. And so one thing that I like to do here is have um, honest conversations because I would love to know the platform that anybody has where everybody gets it right, right? Because that's what we do. You don't, I don't like what you're saying. You are not it. You are spewing lies. I'm not saying anything that uh, anything that is not my perspective, but I'm not a doctor, I'm not a sociologist, and I'm not a historian 
What I am is the person who's living in my skin, trying to have honest conversations to move us forward. So I want to ask you if you think that I said something that was problematic because I, I'm very confrontational and I like to deal with issues as they come because I come with the intention of solution and trying to do things that are going to better our community. But I am so tired of people always telling everybody else, you got it wrong, you got it wrong, but are never contributing to the solution. And I work really hard to do that off of the internet. So do you feel that I offended you or said something that was offensive to you? Um, to me, no. <laughs> um, and I know where you're coming from. I think where Dash is coming from is yeah. so um, the idea you had said, for example, um, you have said to me, like, you know, you hear the Latinidad in my accent. So then what does that mean? Like, essentially, that's going to the rhetoric that, you know, Latinidad sounds like this, where it's like, right. oh, claro, okay, I, Haitians are Latinos. You Absolutely, know? they are. They're barely ever included in the conversation of Latinidad. So, like, just saying things like that, per se, what, you know, it would then spew out that stereotype that, tu sabes, eh, Latinidad suena así, you know, it sounds like that. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, where that is coming from in regards to, we have to be careful with, um, you know, contextualizing. Because yeah. um, what Melina, I feel like she, she touched on beautifully, is just more so when we're having these conversations, when we're trying to figure out, okay, mira, um, we're all oppressed here in all different ways. I think that's something that we can all agree with across the board. But claro, and it ha I can't like stress it enough, Black people, Black Latinos have a double-edged sword. Yeah. So at all times, Black Latinos, visibly Black Latinos, you know, negros. Right. at the forefront of what it is that is being constructed for the solution so that because if black latinos get a little bit that means everyone else gets a lot and that's essentially where that is coming from so um, my, my question and i i respect what you're saying because and i'm not trying to cut you off to be rude i'm just trying to i'm trying to uh absorb what you're saying because for mm -hmm. me if you just hear listen to people but you don't when we, when I say Latinidad, first of all, I, I, when I talk about Haitians, I always include them when I talk about Latinidad. I've always done that before it became cool to do it because I grew up in Miami in a community that was Haitian, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Cuban, Panamanian, and the, the Haitians have always been Afro-Latinos. My question is, can we have a conversation about other Latinos as well with, at the same time, holding the, the truth and the understanding that black Latinos have it worse, but can we still have the conversation? Because all of the conversations that we have, when we start talking about, when I'm talking about people who are not white and not visibly black, who I am, I am, uh, you know, uh, honoring and the people that are in those cages that we we're, we're talking about. Is it possible that we have the intersectional conversations and still be able to acknowledge and hold the space? for Latinos who are also being mistreated, who are not black and can be anti-black because they are, that's a problem with our community. I think that realistically speaking, it's, I hear you in that wanting to have space for others. And it's not more so that, you know, Dash in this instance is saying that, you know, somos lo único with, with, with problems, right? But no. more so that if we don't, at the very least, 
understand that, you know, what it is that Black Latinos are going through in its entirety, then essentially any sort of communication of solution is therefore null and void. Um, and you say Black Latinos, and I am including Afro-Indigenous um, Latinos as well, just because of the levels of which we are discarded in society, whether that's socially, whether that's fi you know financially, like economically, et cetera. We are at the bottom of the barrel. And if yeah. it's not, if that is not at the forefront of the perspective, then essentially it's like, well, what is being discussed? If, there, if we are not at the very intersection at the forefront of the conversation. Okay, so that's fair. That and and when you know when I say that um, when I said that because of your accent, so I understand what you're saying about how that is that is a function of white supremacy that is in our language now, right? Mm -hmm. Because people say to me all the time, "What are you?" And mm -hmm. I'm, in California specifically, they say, "Are you half black or half white?" Mm -hmm. No, because you sound like a like a Latin person, right? They'll say that to me. So when I said that, I just learned something today, right? So that's not, that's why I wanna have these conversations because I think some people, and I'm not talking about Dash because I don't know Dash, but I just think that some of these people are, are just interested in setting the fire and leaving the room. I think well, that a lot of anger is justified. No, I get it. I understand like, that. I know, I know you have one intention, which is why I didn't say nothing because I'm like, mm, I know that she, I know where you're coming from. I know, just how, I know who you are, you know, but like more so in regards to, you know, this conversation because I feel bad, um, you know, Delisa's not chiming in. Um, and no it honestly go on and on, um, you know, essentially, Black Latinos are mad and we have to understand, like, and when I say we, I mean, all Latinos have to understand, it is justified, that anger is justified. When you are erased, when, you know, people are making a commodity and a trend out of your identity and you can't even participate, you know what I'm saying? You can't even participate, you can't even reap the benefits of, of your identity that's being marketed now. Those like quanta Afro Latinos are out here with like businesses and marketing themselves like this because yo soy negra and all this and that. But they're not using negra, they're saying Afro Latina. You know what I'm saying? They won't ever say que son negra porque sabe que no son. They know that they're not, but um, they're, they're still gonna go ahead and reap the benefits of Afro Latinidad without even centering actual black people. So the anger is is justified. Like, Absolutely. That, that's essentially where everyone and anyone who it's it's not about being explosive, claro. You know, like some some people, you know, every, my friends tell me all the time, God, like you're not diplomatic. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, I guess that's how I am, that's how I roll, whatever. Because I, I like you either I love to have conversation and and really like identify why do people think like that? Like that's that's my MO. Um, but you know, more so and, and just so I can conclude, we the anger is justified. There's multiple forces at work that are silencing negros, and that's essentially the reason why a lot of people come off that way. But you know, that Dash, for example, she has the the workshop. Like right. she is do she has been doing the work for some time. A lot of these sociocrats have been doing the work for some time, right. and essentially she is providing a resource. Um, you know, where people can see where it is that she's coming from. If people Seriously. don't like the way she speaks, then it's otra cosa because essentially, like. The anger, this is where that's coming from. Share share it with us or share it with me so I can share it with my followers because I don't know Dash. And I don't care if Dash likes me or not. I don't give a shit about none of these people. I, I have to do what I have to do to be the best that I can be. But the reason why I ask 
is because I do want to learn, right? Because my daughter and my son son negros, right? So I have to be mindful because at home, not just on the internet, right? So for me, it's about honoring my children. But when when you when we so and, and I'm gonna go to Julissa now, but what I will say this, I was having a conversation with a black American person that belongs to a group that thinks that uh, that you don't belong, right? That they'll say, yeah, these black Latinos, these black Latinos, we, they're not American descendants of slaves. And I don't know why they're trying to appropriate our shit. So what, what I'm saying is in the middle of this fight that where it has so many layers, what is it that we can do to, to provide forward motion for ourselves as, as people? Because we have become so uh, we we are now awake and we know all of the, a lot of the things that white supremacy has done to hold us all down that now we can't the the division is also almost harmful to us because now it's easier for them to keep us back and hold us down uh-huh. and so and and it's always been i mean it's always been so how do we have these conversations and for me it's important to be honorable with you, not just because you are negra, but because you're a human being and someone that I care about as a human being, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to make sure that the that I'm not being, I, I, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about this all day. I had a, <laughs> I had a, I, I, had had a, I, feel like, I feel like in short, I hear you and I hear your question. I feel like in short, what a solution, Ida, you have to understand that you care, but many don't. So me entiende? Yeah, that's Right. You're hearing us. You're giving me space. You're 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 allowing Dash to be mad. You know what I'm saying? Like you're oh, allowing all right. people to have their emotions. You are, but many people are not, and that is the issue. So the first step to get everyone on the same page, lo que es, lo que no es, yeah. and then move forward and give the space to the appropriate people. Because at eso, there's gatekeeping, there's silencing, there's yeah. gaslighting, etc. So essentially, yeah. in short. That, that's it's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, so that's why I, I put the comment up because I was like, it is important for people to express their rage and silencing people's rage is oppression to me. And so I know that some people who I live in the reality that people who are darker than me have a tougher life and have been treated worse and that black dark skinned people are being silenced. I, I mean, that's why I had the show with Sulma here about hair that I, I just watch and let it happen. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not something that I can relate to, but I want to be a proper ally and say, this is a conversation that we need to have because this is some bullshit. But at the same time, it's, we all need space to grow and learn. And those of us who are not participating in white supremacy on the level of, uh, I don't have power, right? So for me, it's just about how do I become a better person in this reality, as opposed to getting, you know, getting attacked by people who attack my, my, you know, my character when, when, you know, outside of this, I work hard in the, in the economic space to raise money, to make the world better for our people. I'm not just popping off on Twitter and doing think pieces and talking shit. I'm actually risking my life. I got, I white supremacists breaking into my internet, fucking threatening my life, doxing me, mm-hmm. you know, they, calling me the N word because to them, they don't see the difference, right? They us all as trash. So it's very disheartening when people from your own community are also doing that to you when you're just trying your best, right, to to learn. Because 
I've been indoctrinated just like everybody else. I'm not fully realized. So that's why I, I wanted to say I had a transgender show. One of the transgender people said to me, one of your jokes is offensive because of this. I apologize because I didn't know. I didn't see it that way. But I learned that person, Ashley Marie Preston, could have very well dismissed me and said, you're garbage because you said this joke. And, and we're we willing to learn. Es, es el punto. Because there's people who are like, there are people who are like, well, sorry. Tu me entiende? And that's, yeah, that's, why, that's why I said it because on behalf of myself, I really want to learn. So that's why it's important for me that I'm not intentionally mm -hmm. damaging and hurting people because for me, that matters specifically when you're talking about my people, right? And that's important to me. Now, Julissa, you've been sitting here patiently. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I want to hear from you. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. To be honest, I uh, I mean, you know that I'm usually much more like high energy and like would have would have jumped in, uh, would have jumped in with you know without you even calling on me. Uh, but honestly, I'm I'm tired. I, particularly today, I feel exhausted, uh, emotionally exhausted because you know and and it's, it and it feels it feels strange to even make the comments that i wanted to make um on the show that i had texted you about um uh, because it feels like there this isn't the time to make those comments and at the same time i often feel like it's never the time to talk about this which which is like partly what you were talking about of um you know where so so let me back up so you know growing up mexican american mexican i mexican i growing up mexican growing up undocumented growing up with a whole different set of um of fears uh of deportation fears that uh you know when you're undocumented you know and if you're not you don't know what that feels like you can empathize but you don't know what it feels like to be undocumented with the fear of uh potentially being torn apart from your family and from everything you know and so growing up i often used to wonder right like where do i fit in into this conversation about race, about ethnicity, about oppression, about racism, because I'm not black, but I am also not white. I don't present as white, and I and I and I know that the conversation, you know, um, the conversation can sometimes be like, "Is it white passing? Is it white?" I don't know what the answer is, uh, but all I know is that I look like this. And because I look like this, I go through the world in a certain way and do experience racism. But I think that there's often not room to have those conversations. And, and, and I think that's what's happening now within the Latino community, that the conversation is becoming only about the privilege of white people, of white passing white Latinos, and then the very deep, real oppression of Black Latinos. And the rest of us in between, I honestly don't know where we fit into that conversation. I don't know if there is space for us in that conversation. And then if you, if we try to have conversations outside of that dynamic, then we're not being inclusive. And so I am struggling, really struggling to understand where my place is and also to, to, to speak up for myself and to speak up for other people that are in the same space that I occupy, which is looking like this and, um, and still experiencing the world 
in a way, you know, what we constantly have people telling us to go back to where we came from, even if we were born in this country, even if we're American citizens, even if we speak perfect English, even if we have college degrees, even if we're a fucking nationally best-selling author. And so I don't know. Um, you know, I I'm exhausted because I I feel like constantly I am fighting multiple battles at once. Um, one, which is like against white supremacy, of course, but the other is about where do I fit in? Because, you know, and I understand that it's because I look like this and because, you know, you look at me, I think people know I'm Mexican. Although, you know, back in the day, people used to ask me, what are you? And a lot of people thought I was Filipino. Uh, when I look at myself, I see Mexican. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I I, I really am. I'm. I'm sort of just like speaking from my heart because I don't have a lot of answers to this, and sometimes it's very scary, very scary to say these things out loud. And because of of sort of knowing that you know people are going to have opinions about what you say, and because I because we are all public people and express our thoughts in public, that. Um, they might be taken out of context, that they might be taken uh, outside of understanding what our experience is in the world. And so, you know, I'm gonna, I hopefully will keep having these conversations um, in, in this, even in this series that I created, La Historia Uncovered, um, you know, there were some comments about on online about the fact that I don't have a, a black Latina or a black Latino as part of the series and, the series came about because I wanted to share some of the books that I have read in research for my next book, Rejecting Assimilation. And those were the books that I read. And I didn't want to tokenize anyone. So I didn't want to just include an Afro-Latino or a Black Latino for the sake of having them there to be tokenized. I didn't want to do that. And so I made a conscious decision of going with the original lineup, which was the, you know, the original four books that I had read. And I hope that I'm able to have a second season of the series where I can actually read books by Black Latinos and 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 then bring and then bring them to the program in a way that is uh, truthful and that is organic and that is uh, meaningful and not just a, sort of like an add-on and as an afterthought because I don't want to do that. Um, so, anyways, those are the thoughts um, that are in my heart uh to share and um you know that i would just like to can i chime in of course Julissa, i love what you said and that you know you're honest in that you don't know you know like there's no pamphlet saying how do you you know be supportive of black latinos there's no guide no manual and to that i say um i appreciate your honesty and um I feel like, you know, just in short, in regards to, you know, what is to do, think more so of how to regularly include it so that it's not an asset. I hear you on, on your project, the one that I just, um, you know, that you just released. Um, don't ever feel bad about including um, an Afro-Latino. And I love that you questioned, you know, one, you know, is there, is that gonna be construed as, you know, perceived as you tokenizing them? It won't be. See, in la próxima, you include more. ¿Tú me entiendes? Mm -hmm. and, and that's like, that's essentially the point. That's essentially what all of us are, are trying to get at. In that when you're colluded, when you're making these decisions, you know, 
Um, I know that you said that you don't know where you stand on in regards to this idea of race as yourself as an undocumented woman. Brad, all of these things are valid. You know, one thing doesn't cancel out the other. So as you move in this world and as you move in these spaces, siempre, like, it's no issue at all in regards to including Black Latinos. Like, we want to be included. Now, um, claro, we don't want to be tokenized. And claro, you know, a part of the reason why and the layer that is least often talked about and so why it's so uncomfortable, not that we don't want to show up or that we don't want to be included, it's that others around you may not be open-minded to the idea of having negatives in the space and that therein lies the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I'm speaking about your space specifically, I'm talking about in general, like blanquitos, like, you know, mestizos. Mm -hmm. if, you're in, if you're seeing groups and organizations where you don't see any um, Afro-Latinos, essentially it's because they don't want to get involved. They want to put at the forefront, you know, the issues of, of immigration, even though that includes Afro-Latinos as well. But, you know, people aren't conscious of the fact of, you know, how Afro-Latinos are involved in that particular rhetoric, therefore we are excluded, and more so question their own proximity to, um, to whiteness. Because essentially that's, that's at the heart of why a lot of this is so uncomfortable for so many people. And I love that you're honest about, you know, you feeling you don't know what to do. Um, when in doubt, include, you know? <laughs> when in doubt, include, when in doubt, uplift. Um, you know, don't feel any type of way, you know what I'm saying? Like, and Claro don't make it one, you know, that that's not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Then, you know, obviously judge within reason, you know, in, in regards to quality and things like that. But there's a lot of Afro-Latinos making great content out there that I'm sure that I would love to recommend speaking, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I appreciate your honesty and, and I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I know, thank you. And, that, and you know, that's, um, like that's one like one like just very recent example right of like of like including or not including and i like ultimately like i said i i decided to go with the original lineup because those are books that i had already read that had already like spoken to me like history that i had already wanted to share right mm -hmm. um but i think more broadly like more broadly my question my where i'm questioning things and trying to understand is where do i fit in in the conversation about race that is that tends to be very, very black and white. And that's the reality of it, right? And 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 so it's hard, it's hard to have those conversations, but I do think they're important because there's a lot of people that look like me um, who don't know where we fit in, but who know because we have lived through it that we experience racism in a different way. Mm -hmm. right? We experience it, we have lived through it, we and we don't call it racism. When, 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 uh, when someone gets told to go back to where they came from, the word that often is used to describe that instance is xenophobia. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's xenophobia, but it's also racism. Because it's structural. Yes. Right. yes. But I would also say there's a bigger question attached to this conversation because if we, so, so people could easily say, Melina and Julissa, they, are, they belong in a very similar category because they're both mestiza. They're clearly read as, Latina clearly read as maybe, maybe not so clearly Mexican uh, or Mexican-American. I don't have a problem with the grayness. I don't have a problem um, not knowing, uh, having a clear box because I think that, I think we also have to ask ourselves. So once we have, once we uh, solve that issue for ourselves, if it's ever solved, I don't know if, we, if that's something we can neatly tie up. What then, what are the actual, um, the actual oppressions and, and the issues, and going back to this phrase I keep saying is, how do we identify the material conditions that we wanna change that are attached to this? 
So I don't know that maybe that's a third time, third conversation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. This it's very different. Um, also regionally, right? Because I, I was born in Boston and I grew up between Miami and New York. So being Puerto Rican and Dominican, uh, being being identified as whatever Afro Latino was before it became a hashtag and became popular and people started saying it, you know, it's very funny that I I remember one of my friends from high school who I used to always say, "Yo, we are black over here." Like I don't know what you're talking about because they don't see you as white, right? And she was like, "I'm not black. I'm Dominican. I'm not black. I'm Dominican. I'm not black. Don't call me that. I'm not black." just recently was like, uh, sent me a message on Facebook and was like, I guess what? I found out I was black. <laughs> and, and you know, she was like, use me in one of your skits as people always tell me because I'm a stand-up computer, you know? And I was like, but the reality of being um, not Mexican and not Central American, when you go to other parts of the, of the country, when you grew up in other parts of the country and you come to Los Angeles, your proximity to blackness is identified more because you are not Central American, right? So people who are like Rosie Perez, people will say, oh, she's a light-skinned black woman. She's una, she's Afro-Latina. She's the first Afro-Latina, Coco from Fame. And it is a very complicated uh, place. My birth certificate from Boston, born in Brigham Young Women's Hospital, <laughs> has nothing in the race. There is no W, there is no B. I'm a white person on my birth certificate. Yes, because in in in, uh, in in Boston in the Northeast, they would put a C for Caucasian for the Latinx people, uh -huh. but they didn't even they didn't even give me the C. Got that? They gave me a lot of what that comes from. Um, I mean, it goes back to like all the way back to like the United States invasion of Mexico, uh, because Mexico was colonized twice, first by Spain and then by the United States, and when when uh, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which then like, you know, the US stole all this, all, like half of what the United States is used to be part of Mexico. And as part of the treaty, Mexicans who were now living in that territory were given US citizenship. But at that time in, in the Congress, there were laws that said that only white, free white people could be citizens. So here comes Mexicans who are not white, who most of them were not white. I mean, there were some Mexicans that were, you know, Spanish or that Spaniards that were born in Mexico and they were now called Mexicans uh, who were white. But the majority of the people who were quote unquote acquired in that territory were labeled white. And that, I mean, when I go back to it, I'm like, that created such a host of issues for, because uno se las creyeron, like uno se la creyeron, wow. los que no se la creyeron continually have sought whiteness as a way to, um, to advance, as a way of economic mobility, as a way to, um, to protect themselves from racism and discrimination. It has never worked out uh, uh, to try to veil ourselves under whiteness, uh, but, that, but that's, that's like partly where it comes from is all the way back to then, all the way back to Mexicans being bounty, an unwanted uh, bounty of war, because the way that the border was drawn and, and, and the land that the United States acquired or stole from Mexico was specifically drawn so that they would get the most amount of land with the least amount of Mexicans, because they viewed those Mexicans as a problem. I think we also have to interrogate Mexico 
as a settler colonial state because they never should have had those borders either. They they took land from Yaquis, Apaches, Pueblo, um, you name it. I mean, I, I wish I knew more of, because those were all different indigenous nations. So I think the Spanish, the, by the way, the Spanish, it was a Spanish, it was a Spanish colonizer. They should have done that. You're right. It is it a Spanish, Spanish colonizers. And later it became Mexican. By that time, there were Mexican drawn. That, land should never have been taken from those indigenous people. Yeah. So but we well, make land to Mexico or we um, want to invalidate the, the fact that this land was quote unquote taken, we also have to, again, uh, be consistent with, with this lens. If we're going to interrogate the, the settler colonial state of the U.S., then Mexico deserves to be under that same scrutiny too. But, I mean, but so can I make something clear? Today. Can I make something clear, which is the following. When that land was taken, and it was taken and robbed from indigenous people, as you were saying, when that happened, it was not called Mexico. It was called New Spain, and it was still part of the same colonizers that took the land from the Maya, from the Aztec, from all of the other tribes, indigenous tribes in Mexico. So yes, you are correct that there was a lot of that land that was no longer uh, indigenous land that became Mexican land because by the time Mexico won its independence, right, all of that region was now called Mexico. Mm -hmm. But I want to also say that they were what became Mexicans. I mean, and that's a whole nother conversation about, uh, you know, who became Mexicans and, and, and how we were um, categorized because the caste system that existed under colonial rule continued to exist in in maybe not so much in in in, in like paper but in practice right so so yes to what you're saying but i want to make it clear though that that does not negate what i said and 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 the fact that uh what my point was which is how some latinos mexicans specifically became quote unquote white in in, in legal terms at that time I, so, I want to just jump in quickly. Um, uh, both points are well taken, and I just I want to make sure it's so much, right? Because we are such a complexity. And as I sit here, and I'm like, I I actually am an, am an empath. So if I feel like I hurt somebody or I did something, it's you know, I'm I'm like, did I say something that was insensitive? Did I? because I wanna learn and I wanna grow. And that's the purpose of me doing this. I'm a stand-up comedian, an actress, a writer, and a producer. I don't have to do this. I only do this because I think it's important to provide a platform for our points of views because that's not in the mainstream. You know, I don't know how many conversations about Afro-Latinidad have you seen or blackness within the Latinx spectrum on CNN or MSNBC, but it just doesn't happen. And I'm like, this is un-fucking un believable and ridiculous at the same time, because within this spectrum of, of who we are, there are so many things that are, are just atrocious at, at the hands of colonization, right? So uh, and and it's just so important that uh, that we hold a space so that Gata can tell us what we are doing wrong. You can tell me as a Puerto Rican woman when my language is wrong with regards to Mexican and Central Americans because we've been indoctrinated into hating each other and ourselves. And you hear a Puerto Rican say, "Don't call me no fucking Mexican," or Mexicans say, "I'm not no goddamn Puerto Rican," as if it is a an insult. And it's all a, a, a play of white supremacy. So for me, it is like, how, let's have the conversations 
you know, Gata, you're from Panama. You look at television, you see, you even see Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, even though they're the criminals and the Mexicans are the maids. But they're, they, you don't ever hear people talking about Panamanians in uh, television in the mainstream, right? My tia. <laughs> and I grew up, my uncle's married to a Puerto Rican Panamanian woman who's been in my life my whole life. I've been eating, like I, always, I say, a guacho, uh, eating hojaldas, you know, listening to the music. Not just that, that's the, the fun part, Le learning the history, understanding what really happened in, in Panama in the 70s with, with regards to our American government and the shit we did there. So when we sit there, we have these conversations. That's why I do it because I don't, I don't, I'm not getting famous for doing this. I'm losing jobs for doing this. <laughs> People don't want to fuck with me because they think I'm a troublemaker. So the reason why I do this is because uh, my people matter. And when I say in black people in the, in the Latino spectrum matter, and they may not be descendants of slaves of America, but they're descendants of slaves from where they come from because they did it all over the world. And so that's why I wanted to have these conversations because I think it's important that we do. Um, you know, we talk about indigenous people um, with through the lens that they are not from Mexico or they're not from Puerto Rico. They are exclusive to the United States of America. And most of us have indigenous blood from wherever we come from. So I, I just want to be able to hold the space and, and, to, and you can tell Dash, uh, Kata, that if she would like to come here and have a conversation with me, it's open because I want to learn. I'm not trying to be oppressive, you know? Yo no soy maleante, pero tampoco envidiosa. Everything that I do, I do with the intention of bettering the situation for us all. And when I say us all, I'm talking about LGBTQIA plus Black, all the, 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 the whole spectrum, you know, because we nobody else is, people don't want to have these conversations. People are like, I'm not talking about that because if I say something, they're going to call me anti-Black. I'm not going to say, you know, and I, I just think it's important for us to really be able to have these conversations. Um, I, you guys all do stuff that is important to this conversation with what you do for work. And I would like for you to share about that and please uh, tell us what you're doing in your work with, with your work, because you're all artists, because your artists impacts this conversation in a very important way. So Gata, we'll start with you. Um, thank you so much for having me here and the truth, Sarah Maiva. Um, it's funny, I, I think, well, what do I do? I do everything. Um, mm -hmm. I am the creator of Reggaeton con la Gata. If you are interested in learning about reggaeton history, including, you know, kind of main contribution, I invite you to check out Reggaeton con la Gata on all social media platforms, as well as in Latinidad. If you're more interested in speaking, um, in learning and involving yourself with um, Latinidad plus comedy, right? Because Latinidad is based in whiteness and I'm trying to soften that blow, but have real impactful and funny conversations. Check out at in Latinidad. Um, Julissa, first of all, I want to say one more thing because <laughs> you want to spark something in me and I know we've gone over. When you watch these streaming services and they're talking about their inclusion and diversity initiatives, they'll put these TV shows that are Spanish shows, and I mean from Spain, in the box of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I want uh, each of you to speak on this. I, 
for uh, and I'm going to speak from my perspective first, and then the, I'll let allow the rest of you. People from Spain, the Spanish people, they're from Spain. Those are our white people. Those mm -hmm. are the, they are European people who speak Spanish. Spanish is the language of many of our colonizers. So we are we scoff at each other for not being able to and do all that bullshit. That's not our native tongue. I come from Taínos, Africanos, and our native tongue is none of that. So when we hear people talking about y'all got this show called The Heist and it's been all world, those are not, those are, and I have Spanish friends who are like, oh, you always going in on us. And I'm like, no, I don't think people really understand. Spain is part of the, the problem of colonization that took did so much damage throughout the world. And if we talk about France and we talk about the United States and Great Britain, we cannot exclude Spain because we give them this connotation of Latinidad. And so for me, it's like when I have to say, I'm working on a television show about us where the characters look like everybody that's here today, I have to explain it to a degree that is so much work. And so I wanted to open that up to the three of you as well, because I, I think you all have a perspective on this. And I don't think people really understand what that means. I'm so glad. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was just saying very quickly. So I don't I don't consider Spanish people Latinos. I have a lot of Spanish friends and I love them. And there's, you know, I have some of my best friends are Spanish, but they're not Latinos. And um, you know, I don't think that they should be applying for like Latino scholarships. <laughs> That's my Yeah, I agree. Um, you were I'm, so, I'm so glad you brought this up, Ayla, because I was on Netflix the other day and it was like, you know, talking about celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. And I saw a lot of Spanish content in there from Artist Media, which I agree is amazing. I'm a fan of Money Heist, but they're not mm -hmm. Latino. And I and to that point, um, and to anyone watching who has some sort of power to try to change that, because I thought that was atrocious, um, you know. You need to center or at least create more initiatives to have Latino-based content. Um, and as well as, you know, this is, I love that this is a thing in popular culture because it is not going to force people to, to ask themselves, hmm, no, we don't want the Spanish because geographically speaking, they're in Europe and they colonize us. Eso está bien. But today, hoy en día, who is holding um, you know, a lot of these systems alive in all of our different countries from Mexico to Argentina are white Latinos. So I think this is a, a great opportunity for everybody to start asking themselves what is really going on racially. Because it's not difficult. It's not hard to understand. I'm black, someone who's white. Someone who's white is more likely to get into a space where you know they're accepted and not viewed as you know um, a you know salvaje, or you know are going to be told papenarse, or to be told um, sabe, their forma de ser is a little bit out of the you know it's wild. And these are things that I've all heard because I'm not you know like clear cut and etc. And as even as an academic, which is laughable. So yeah, I I love that this happened in pop culture, and I'm excited to see how that conversation unfolds. Not that I'm optimistic, though. Valina. Hostia, joder, tía, Aida. Bueno, es una cuestión. I gotta tell you, some of the most racist fucking people I ever experienced in my life were Spaniards. I did a two-month theatrical tour throughout Spain when I was 
in the big city, in Madrid, in Alcalá, not that big, but it's still in proximity. I was fine. You know, there's there's immigrants there. There's uh, North African folks. There's Colombianos. There's Mexicanos. But let me tell you, when I got to those tiny, quaint little uh, villages, people would look at me like this, the same way white women look at me in certain parts of town here. Um, uh, I got into it with someone because she told me that, que, hostia, tengo que hablar cristiano cuando esté en el país de ellos. Uh, so according to her, Castilian Spanish is the Christian language, which is, ooh, the layers of trauma and whackness there, I like, could not even unpack. Um, so yeah, I mean, exactly what uh, Julissa and Wagata said, like, it's very clear, and I need Hollywood execs to know this, and and also the Hispanic Caucus and anyone who continues like validating Hispanic. I, I, I the term is so problematic because it it centers our colonizer. It leads with the colonizer. It allows the colonizer to define um, how we exist in the world, and that being the most salient part of our identity. Um, and and I gotta I gotta call out the, you know this one of these Hollywood diversity reports. I want to say it's uh, the one that came out of USC. Um, when they are talking, when you, you know, and you can find this online if you look at the pie charts and and all the other charts and the percentages, they for some reason thought it appropriate to include Spaniards uh, in 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 those those studies uh, along with Mexicans and Boricuas and Dominicans and everyone else from Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, so I think that is something that we need to be really clear about. And thank you, Gata, for bringing this up too. That it's not just. Uh, Spaniards who are in Spain right now, but white Latina exist in Latin America. And so just because they're a few generations removed um, doesn't mean that they enjoy any less privilege. And I want to say that, um, you know, in terms of like uh, projects, going back to this idea of, of sterilization, because I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like Julieta and I may disagree over the terminology or how we relate to our own identity, et cetera. But I know that when it comes to the uh, material changes we wanna make for our community and for other communities of color, I know that we are all uh, in an alliance together. And I know that I can call on each one of you just as you could call on me. So thinking about this idea of how, how race uh, overlaps and informs these very real oppressions, um, you know, th this, this movie that right now is it's called For Rosa. It is based on the Madrigal 10 of the hysterectomy, forced hysterectomies that were happening here in Los Angeles. And um, I play a woman who is a composite of some of the different women who, who were involved in the lawsuit who had tubal ligations. And one of the conversations I had with my director, who is a white woman, um, and, and I told her, you know, I need her to be bilingual. I need this character to be bilingual because we cannot only say that this is about language. These women were racialized, you know, and and, and uh, if you watch this documentary, No Mas Bebes, uh, that came out on PBS a few years ago, you can find clips online. Most of these women look like me and Julissa, like they could be our tias or mothers. And so we are racialized in a very particular way. We do experience racism. Um, so I think when we you know, the, the, the conversation can continue about identity and I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm not someone who, um, you know, I, I, I see these conversations like people battling about like, I don't like the word Latinx, what is Latinx? I hate the X, it's like, shut up. If you don't wanna use it, don't use it. Um, but for me, it's kind of like, we can call ourselves whatever we want, 
but we will continue walking the world in a certain way. Um, so that's that. That hopefully you'll invite us a third time. Ida, and we can no, we, this is gonna be a series all <laughs> unto itself because it's gonna call, be called Ida Learns. <laughs> what is yeah. Tell us about your project and what you're. So funny, I gotta I gotta run to because I gotta go record my noticias. So um, every Friday I do uh, a wrap up of news that are not getting any national attention. Um, so for example, today I'll be talking about um, the um, the death of uh, let me get his name correct of Jorge Gonzalez Zuniga. Um, on April twelfth, he was uh, paralyzed from the neck down after he was arrested because the cops broke his neck. And a few months later, uh, and by the way, they didn't, they, they held his head up to take the mugshot because they had broken his neck, but then didn't give him medical attention for 21 hours. Mm -hmm. And on July 15th, he died. And if you Google his name, Jorge Gonzalez Zuniga, you will not find a single national newspaper covered the story. And it fucking breaks my heart. And I'll also be talking about um, Cipriano Chavez Alvarez, who um, just this week uh, died in ICE custody from COVID-19, even though he was released from federal prison on um, compassionate release because the judge was afraid that he might catch COVID. And then he was put in a detention center and died from COVID. Um, and I only find out about these stories, by the way, because people send them to me and people say, this happened to my uncle. Um, th this uh, Cipriano who, who, who passed away in ICE custody, he, uh, his niece is a friend of mine. And so she sent me the story. Uh, only BuzzFeed covered the story. And people send me the stories that they say, you know, this is not, the news doesn't care about us and about our stories. And so I've tried to, um, in whatever small platform I have, to shine a light on the stories. And so um, I would encourage people to check out those noticias that I do on Fridays and help me spread the word about these important stories. Um, and then the only other thing I'd highlight, which I already talked about at Nauseam probably, is La Historia Uncovered. Um, I'm learning a lot from about so a lot of these conversations about identity, just about the colonial history in our countries. Um, you know, this week I did a conversation with Ed Morales, uh, specifically just talking about Puerto Rico and the devastation of Maria and how, uh, because Puerto Rico is, is, is sort of in this limbo, uh, this legal limbo, the aid that was given to Puerto Rico was not nearly what was given to Texas, uh, around the same time that they were experiencing hurricanes. And, you know, this falsehood, this lie that Trump is saying that he gave the biggest aid to Puerto Rico, when in reality, a big portion of that aid, $5 billion of the aid was actually loans. There were loans that the people of Puerto Rico had to pay back. Um, so anyways, you know, I, what I really, as you can probably tell, one of the things I'm really passionate about is just understanding history, because I think that history uh, doesn't just tell us of the past, but it informs our future. And if we don't know our history, um, I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice. So I, I have tried to learn a lot more history. And so I invite people to check out the series as well. Um, awesome. Um, I, can I say one more thing? I just want to, um, I just found out that a, a, a close friend who was a, a wonderful teacher and an amazing organizer, um, not well known on social media, but touched thousands of lives throughout the country, passed away. Uh, she was 41. And I want to just invoke her name. Uh, she's a, a wonderful uh, black queer non-binary person from uh, Tennessee. They are, excuse me. 
Elandria Williams, um, known by the community as E. And um, there was someone that that always talked about the vision of the future, right? And and I, they're they were the kind of person that sh shown a mirror to you, and would kind of like make you take inventory of your own bullshit. And I would always say, yeah, I wish I could be as visionary and as patient and graceful as Elandria. And they passed away um, the night before yesterday. So please look look them up. They were an organizer with the Highlander Center. They trained thousands of organizers, and so. I just wanted to invoke their name because uh, it's a lesson for me and whoever's listening, hopefully. Um, mm. We learn, learn from history, and then uh, let's let's try to also engage in the, in the visionary process. I appreciate you uh, um, saying their name. Um, I want to say, but you guys hold the mirror up to me because I learned, um, you know, I, um, I learned by my, I didn't graduate from college. I was a teenage pregnancy case. I grew up, you know, a victim of domestic violence. I was raped. All the things that happened to me that I have made me who I am today that make me, you know, say that's part of my journey. And this, this testimony is to help young black and brown women who come from where I come from, who are in bondage to shame and guilt. I am here to say you're going to be okay. So I, I show up every day because it's important to me. It's been in my DNA my whole life. I've been, my brother, you know, reminded me that I started an, a, an organization to fight drugs in my community when I was like a teenager and I was like taking on the drug dealers <laughs> and uh, risking my whole family's life. But I've always, it's always been who I am. And, and you know, people in the business say, walk away from that. You could just be an artist. You don't if it's in your DNA, as it is, it is in the DNA of all of you, because you can very well sing reggaeton, act, write books, produce, do whatever you want to do and not use your platform. But those of us who are, you know, this is who we are. Um, I want to say Brianna Taylor's name. And I want to remind you that I, I support everyone who is out protesting. I support everyone who's angry right now because I am angry right now. I just want to remind everyone that these are the systemic ills that we have to take on, not on a superficial level, not on the top level. We have to go in. We saw who uh, made a decision with this that affected us all. And that should be a reminder that not only should we be voting, not just on a national level, but on a local level and really influencing who's making the decisions in our community. But we really need to hold these, uh, these politicians accountable uh, for the laws that are in place and changing these laws um, and these statutes and these, these things that a lot of us don't even know exist, uh, which is why we'll be shocked that they are going to uh, indict a man for uh, endangering others after killing a person in their sleep. So these are bigger conversations to have, and it's not just about... Um, you know, who's in office because historically who's been in office has never been good for any of us, but really changing systems because that is how we make a change. So we are with Breonna Taylor and Breonna Taylor's family and the whole world is feeling the pain of this. So just remember that for every Breonna Taylor you know about there in the news, there are many Breonna Taylors that you never hear about and we should be fighting for them all. Um, I love you. I love all. I know Julissa had to go. Gata, I love you. Thank you for holding a place where you can, you know, hold the mirror to me and, and correct me in truth and love. Because all I want to do is be honorable to uh, my, my village. 
And um, if I offended you, I apologize because that was never <laughs> my <laughs> but I, it's my job to do that because that's that's how we honor each other. And Melina, as always, every time I encounter you, I walk away better for it and knowing more. And I really appreciate you. And I do want y'all to come back for three because <laughs> I think that, that we got to keep doing this. Is this, you know, and and it's 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 also talking to people that you want to talk to and, and and can do the things that you're doing because you know I just think it's important to really continue having the conversations for our future and for ourselves. We are worthy. Um, so tell people where they can find you on social media and follow you. And then we're going to wrap the show up. We did an hour and a half. <laughs> we did. Muchas gracias por tenerme. Thank you for having me. Um, siempre, you know, you know what time it is, Aida um, and Melina. Um, mi gente que está sintonizando, you guys were tuning in. Um, my Instagram is Gata TV, but again, my work is done on Reggaeton con la Gata. That is the name on all social media platforms. Please subscribe to YouTube. A lot of good things are coming soon in interviews with your faves. De la nueva escuela, la vieja escuela of reggaeton. Um, and as well as um, comedy with commentary on En Latinidad about Latinidad. I love it too. It's been really on fire the last couple of weeks. Melina? Um, thank you so much, Aida, for I feel seen by you. I feel I feel seen, and I'm I'm so grateful that um, our mutual friend May connected us um, because I, I just really appreciate you, and I appreciate um, learning from you. Appreciate your 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 joy and your levity, and also your deep commitment. I know what you do behind the scenes, and I know your, your heart is real, and and I I I think you're amazing. So I, thank you for giving us the space. Um, for valuing our voices and for um, for uplifting us. You can find me on uh, all social media platforms. My long multi-syllable name right there, Melina Bobadilla on Instagram. Uh, that's more pictures, you know, industry stuff. All my shit talk is on Twitter. And when I wake up spicy, that's where it lands. So um, this morning. I did, you know, I was like, oh, let me say something. I don't want to meditate. I love it. Um, and uh, I'm, uh, and listen, um, Gata, I was serious about Dash. I know Dash was upset, but if Dash would like to come on, I would love to have Dash come on and we can have the conversation because at the end of the day, I want, I, I love us and I want us to win. And I mean that from my core. Um, I want to thank the village for being here. Uh, we've had some really good numbers today and uh, they love the conversation. The comments have been varied and I appreciate you all. Everything that comes in criticism for me is about growth so I can receive that. What I don't receive is hope and envidia because I don't operate from that. I, I'm very well protected. But if it's, if it's all about the movement and forward motion, I'm here for it. That's what this is about. We are stronger together. I know that shit sounds corny, but it is true. And it is economics and numbers. So remember that while we're protesting, we're marching, we got to stop investing in our own oppression. So let's watch where we put our dollars, because a lot of times where we're putting our dollars is where it's hurting us the most. Have a beautiful weekend. I'll see you back next week. And remember these faces, because we're gonna we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> see you next time. Thank you.